I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I am concerned. I am deeply, deeply concerned about something I heard last week, and it has to do with the health of one Lennox Claudius Lewis, the former heavyweight champion of the world. Now, you're probably wondering, oh no, is Lennox Lewis sick? Is he is he near death? No, nothing of the sort. At the age of 53, I think the this retired heavyweight is in, you know, very good health. He looks to be in very good health, but I am curious about what's going on in his mind. I have to wonder if Lennox might, he's either trying to rewrite history or he is just confused about basic facts that almost everybody who follows the sport should know. Now, last week, Lennox Lewis was on the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, comedian Russell Peters, and when I saw this, I thought, well, what is Russell Peters doing there? Honestly, what are you doing there? We want to hear Joe Rogan, who is a very good interviewer, and the podcast he hosts is one of the best out there. I want to hear Joe interview Lennox Lewis. This is one of the great heavyweight champions of all time, and, you know, Joe didn't have anybody with him when he was interviewing Mike Tyson, so why does he need help with uh, Lennox Lewis? Well, it turns out that Russell Peters actually knows Lennox Lewis. They they have some, I guess they uh, grew up together in the same neighborhood. I don't care. I don't really, I'm not that interested in Russell Peters. I don't think any of you are either, and if you are, well, I apologize or something. I don't care. But, you know, they're, they're asking, or rather, Joe is asking Lennox some good questions about his career. But then, as Lennox is giving the answers, I'm thinking, no, that's not right. That's not right. That definitely is not right. How are you telling me that this is right? So, what I've got here is, I've got a little buzzer right beside me. And I'm going to play uh, some clips from the Joe Rogan podcast. And every time I hear a lie, you're going to hear this sound. And then I'm going to interject and tell you what the real facts of history are. Not what Lennox Lewis is either confused about or lying about. So, let's go. When when you look back on your career, like, do you have like a most satisfying victory? Yeah. What is it? I seen Rockman. I was going to say that. I was going to say the rematch. The first yeah. or the second? The second one, motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You that, Wally. When a guy when a guy beats you like that and then you know you could have beaten him or you should have beaten him. Is that what bothered you so much? Um no, you know what really bothered me is the fact that I gave him an opportunity. I gave him a fight when uh, I'm basically waiting for Tyson and I have to keep busy. I'm looking down the list of who who to fight. He's number 7. I realized that he's durable. He's not not one of these guys that get knocks out easy. So I wanted to give my fans, you know, a proper fight. Box the best guy out there, not box the easy guy that's easy to get knocked out. I don't want to go home in two rounds. So, and then another reason, a lot of people don't know, I went to Africa to fight because Muhammad Ali went to Africa. He wow. fought in Africa. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to be, I wanted to fight in Africa. If You know, I say, I'm a world champion. So I need to fight all around the world. So that's what made me go to Africa. The only thing about Africa is I didn't know that it was such a high altitude up there. And for me to uh, have a fight, I should have got there a lot earlier, but I was doing Ocean's Eleven at that time. People Uh. said, oh, you were doing a movie. I wasn't doing no movie. I was sitting around half the time waiting for them to change the lights, then go out and go out there for two minutes and then go back and sit there for another two hours while they change the lights. Were you training at all while that was happening? Yeah, I was training, but it wasn't like the it wasn't the conditions of training. You know, I needed a bag, I needed sparring partners, I right. needed to be uh, up there a lot sooner. So you just kind of exercise. Yes. How many thousand feet was it above sea level? Higher than uh, Big Bear. It was Cape Town, right? So more than six. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to interject here because that is incorrect. The fight did not take place in Cape Town, South Africa. It took place in the city of Brockpond, South Africa. And if you're going to get very technical and say, oh, well, you know, it's pretty much the same place, kind of. Well, it's the same distance if, you know, 1,400 kilometers is, you know, basically in your neighborhood. It is not. 
Also, the elevation of Big Bear, California ranges from about a little over 2,000 meters to 2,743 meters. In Brockpond, South Africa, it, the elevation is just about 1,631 meters above sea level. So, again, you know, if you want to blame the elevation, you might want to blame the right elevation. On another day, he, he wouldn't throw a lucky punch like that. It wouldn't hit me. And he wouldn't have a ref that, you know, was on his side as well. How was the ref on his side? Um, when I say the ref's on his side, you know. He called got, it a little early, I yeah, would say. I got knocked down in the second round. I'm the, I'm the champion. Right. At least give me a chance. Not wave the fight straight away. Right. It is a sad, sad state of affairs when I know people's careers better than they do. Lennox was not knocked down in the second round against Hasim Rahman. He was knocked down in the fifth round. Also, this whole thing about, oh, I get up, at least give me a chance, and he stopped the fight. No! Lennox, if you go back and watch that fight, Lennox had no chance of beating the count. He had no chance. Like he, The referee waved the fight off, and Lennox was still kind of hunched over. He is confusing this fight, the Rahman loss, with his first loss against Oliver McCall. It was in the Oliver McCall fight, where Lewis was knocked down in the second round. He got up, and even though he looked ready to fight, the, rever the referee waved it off. Lennox Lewis is confused. And I, I don't get how somebody who apparently is... You know, he, he left the sport at a good time. Like, he, he obviously has not absorbed a lot of damage over his over the years of his career. So, I, I'm very confused how this can happen. And I don't want to hear any excuses about, oh, well, maybe it's jet lag. Perhaps he's just tired. He doesn't seem tired. And if he was tired, do you know what he'd say? I'm tired. I don't want to do the interview today. Let's do it tomorrow. There you go. Unbelievable. So the Hasim Rahman fight after it was over, were you worried that you were going to get a, we're not going to get a rematch? Yes, I was yeah. very worried. In fact, we chased him to three courts around the world, and uh, he didn't want to fight me. And I, I, you know, if I was in this position, I wouldn't want to fight me either because uh, you know I'm coming back for revenge. Plus, there's a big money fight out there with Tyson, right. which he so um, so happened to say after the fight, "No more Lewis Tyson, no more Lewis Tyson." And he actually left um, South Africa without visiting Mandela. Like, why you go to Africa and not visit Mandela? Mm. I did. He just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, he Take just... Take that belt. Just, yeah. and, and that $7 million that he got off of Don King. Mm. So um, the fight got made again because after the third courtroom, uh, the judge says, whose signature is this? Hasim said it was his. You signed it? Yes. Well, you got to give him the rematch. This is you signed it to give him a rematch, so you have to give him a rematch. So he didn't want to hear that. So I was happy. Got so the rematch. How long did it take? Two years. Two years. A year, according to the calendar of the planet Earth, is three hundred and sixty-five days over a period of twelve months. Two years is twenty-four months. Lennox Lewis first fought Hasim Rahman. In April of 2001, the date was April 22nd, 2001, the rematch took place November 17th, 2001. I do not understand where he's getting this two years number from, but I have a theory about that. He's confused and thinking about Oliver McCall. Going back... Oliver McCall knocked Lennox Lewis out September 24th, 1994. They next fought in February of 1997, almost two and a half years later. Again, I don't know where he's getting this, this two years number from for Rahman. Because it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's not hesitating either. He's not... Uh, I think it was two years. No, he, he's very insistent. Like He's direct, straight to the point. Joe asked him, so how long did that take? Two years. Two years, wow. I'd say wow too because I'd be like, wow, that's 
that's not how it happened, Lennox. They shouldn't have had Russell Peters there. They should have had me. Now, when you were in that time period, I, I don't remember. Did you have fights in between? Uh, yeah. How many fights did you have after uh, Rockman? Oh, no, I didn't have no fights no in between. No fights in between. No, no, I no. just trained for Rockman. Just waited. Yeah. So it took you two years. Two years. God, that must have been so frustrating. It is frustrating because it never happened like that. The rematch did not take place two years later. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too big a deal out, but too big of a deal about this. But I'm sorry. I don't see how somebody can confuse seven months for two years. Oh my god, you know what? The next time my boss asks me, Andrew, remind me, how long have you been working here? I'm not going to say six and a half years. I'm going to say 20. It's been 20 years. Now, aside from these glaring, obvious errors in his own history, the interview with Lennox Lewis is actually pretty good. He talks about uh, meeting Tyson for the first time. He talks about how you know him and Tyson got along as teenagers and then all the craziness that happened when they were adults. It's a pretty good interview. You can find it on YouTube. Just Google Joe Rogan, Lennox Lewis, and that interview will pop up. Speaking of interviews, I've got something very special in store for you, and that is an interview with Boxing for Free Zone, Matt Lewis. He was very gracious to take time out of his busy day to have a conversation with me over Skype. And without further ado, here is a conversation where we discuss a lot of things in the boxing scene, including the retirement of George Groves, uh, James DeGale, Anthony Joshua, who is fighting uh, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, as well as Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and of course the big meat and potatoes of this episode, Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence. I really hope that you enjoy this interview. Yeah. George Groves recently announced his retirement, and after his fight against uh, Chris Eubank Jr., it was uh, James DeGale who announced his retirement as as well. Yeah. So what is the general consensus uh, among the British boxing public about James DeGale and George Groves separately? In terms of how they divided public opinion, in terms of how we saw their careers? Either way. Like uh, Either way. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's, well... start with jo- let's start with George Groves. I mean, th- this was a guy who... Uh, Early on in their career, I thought when it happened, they had that big grudge match between him and DeGale in 2011, and really big stars yet. It seemed like something that should have been built into something bigger down the line, but they got it done rather early. DeGale had only 10 fights at that point in his career, and he was the Olympic uh, gold medalist, but uh, it was Groves who ended up winning the majority decision. And then he had his uh, sort of ups and downs. He famously got knocked out by Carl Froch in front of like 90 billion people in front in uh, Wembley Stadium. So, but then he eventually wins his uh, world title. And after a few defenses, uh, a very good fight against Chris Eubank Jr., where Eubank was sort of coming on towards the end. And I think, didn't uh, Groves have a, like a shoulder dislocated or something in that fight? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, he dislocated his shoulder in the in the final round. In the final round, jeez. And uh, no. after that, uh, knocked out against Callum Smith, and he announced his retirement. So, what is the overall opinion of George Groves? Um, I think you generally have to say that the opinion of George, uh, the public opinion of George Groves, is a very positive one. Um, he had uh, several bites of the cherry, really, to get a world. Uh, to get a world title, you know the famous fights uh, that we all know about, as you said, um, against Carl Froch. It didn't come off for him then, um, and then it was the fight uh, a little later against Badu Jack uh, over in the States, which he lost by a split decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, th- I think it would be fair to say that we were delighted when, um, at the fourth time of asking, um, he finally uh, did get that um, get that world title which he deserved. I mean, we uh, there was a poll online recently where it was uh, who enjoyed the better career, James DeGale or uh, or George Groves, and uh, opinion was split right down the middle. But for me, I think you'd probably I think you'd probably have to side with George Groves. I mean, both guys would make a very strong uh, could make a very strong case for themselves. Where um, Groves also beat um, DeGale in the amateurs. Oh, uh, yeah. He beat he beat him in the amateurs. Then he went on to beat him at sort of uh, Commonwealth level here. 
um, in the uh, in the professional ranks. And uh, then after sort of the, the Frotch defeats and then the Badu Jack defeat, you started to sense that maybe the world title um, was going to uh, elude him. Uh, when he gets it the fourth time of asking, he then goes on what I think is probably his best run out of his entire career, um, which uh, basically involved the um, the World Boxing Super Series tournament, mm-hmm. in during which, after he beat Chris Eubank, was arguably um, the best super middleweight on the planet at that one time. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he comes across in interview outside of the ring. I think he comes across in interviews as intelligent, um, as erudite. And um, I think he pulled out at the right time. And, you know, I'm sure that we at Boxing for Free wish him all the best. Indeed. Now, I, I-, I got to say, um, you-, you got two fighters like Chris Eubank Jr. and James DeGale fighting each other. I didn't uh, put a lot of thought into this fight, but uh, I honestly thought that DeGale was going to pull out ahead because, you know, this guy, he is a former world champion. He held the title at super middleweight. In fact, I think it was a two-time super middleweight champion, correct? Uh, yes, yeah, he, he lost it against uh, Caleb Truax yes. and then uh, got it in, got it back in the rematch. Mm-hmm. So he's going in against uh, Chris Eubank Jr., who always, at this point, he, he seemed to, every time he was going to you know step up in competition, uh, it just <clears throat> didn't work out for him, as we saw against Billy Joe Saunders back in uh, November of 2014, and then against George Groves uh, uh, just uh, lat- or in 2018, sorry. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that this was going to be another example of, you know, you're trying to step up and you're just not at that level. I, I remember watching a documentary about uh, his father, Chris Eubank Sr., years ago, and uh, the uh, Chris Jr. is pleading, you know, why don't you just let me box? And his dad tells him, I just don't think you're tough enough. I think you're, you know, you're too soft. You, you, you're not, you just don't have it in you. And I thought this was going to kind of cement that prediction, but... Uh, no, that 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 wasn't the case. That I mean, this was clearly Chris Eubanks' night. Sorry, can you just repeat that question? Sorry, oh. I, 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 you broke up again. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I just said that you know, I was expecting, and I think a lot of people were expecting Chris Eubank Jr. to come up short against James DeGale, and it turned out that this uh-huh. was probably his best night. I see. Well, I, I don't know. Um, for me, um, I, I actually wasn't hugely surprised. Um, if you look at, um, if you looked at them sort of going into this fight, you could, I think personally, you could tell uh, that uh, James DeGale was on the slide. Um, I think that he hadn't looked uh, brilliant in his uh, recent performances. Um, I think uh, the loss to uh, Caleb Truax, um, I think, revealed that there were a few cracks appearing um, in in James DeGale. I think he's, I think James DeGale has had quite a tough career as well. I think he's got a few miles on the clock. Um, the loss to Badu Jack, for example, was a, a fairly heavy-duty fight to go through. And you, you'd notice, particularly later in his career, that James, um, he only really fought in bursts. He, he, he would retreat... Uh, sometimes all the way back to the ropes, engage in a flurry of punches and then tie up or then try and move away. He'd only fight in burst and would never be able to apply pressure consistently um, uh, in this sort of later career with with the same degree of success that he did earlier in his career. He's not fighting for every minute of every round. He's not fighting for every minute of every round. He's taking rests. Sometimes he's taking whole rounds off. And that sort of approach to a fight really suits someone uh, like uh, Chris Eubank Jr., who, if you compare him to James DeGale, uh, when they met, he was probably hungrier, he was younger, he was fresher, he didn't have as many miles on the clock. And what he loves to do is put pressure on opponents, force them back, and work at them on the ropes. And um, that kind of turned out to be the case i mean it wasn't i don't know if you watched the fight but it it wasn't the cleanest fight it was a bit scrappy at times it, but it, um, it did seem very scrappy and i remember you mentioning that it wasn't the cleanest fight and i thought oh well i, I better go check that out and i just i'm watching i thought oh yeah no 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 that, that, that's not an exaggeration because i thought oh you know you know well not the cleanest bow but then you actually see it and i think oh my gosh i mean okay <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you got the victory, kid. Good for you. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we would all be... Um, I think we could all say with a certain, you know, with, with a degree of certainty, really, that um, Chris Eubank Jr. faced a gale at the right time for him. Uh, I think that uh, if he'd have come up against the James DeGale of... I don't know, four years ago or something, it, w- it would have been an entirely different story. But I think they just met in times in their careers that, that favoured Eubank and um, Eubank was able to exploit those uh, uh, those sort of cracks, as I say, in James DeGale's, uh, James DeGale's style that had developed over the course of what, what has actually been a very hard career for him. I, I can imagine. I mean, looking back at his career, I mean... I, I'm not going to say that any boxing career is easy, but the, looking at it, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, thinking because I remember watching some of his fights on PBC. I watched his uh, when he won his first title against Andre Durrell back in 2015, and even though like it, it seemed kind of clear that he won, I remember it wasn't the easiest fight either because Durrell doesn't have uh, the best uh, the best style to fight against. But at the same time, then he's able, he's fighting people like Lucien Boutte. He's got a you know. He, gets a draw with Badu Jack, which is, you know, just, mm. that's all Badu Jack seems to get lately, is just either, he either gets a draw or he gets his skull cracked, which... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, do, do you do you remember watching that fight specifically? I mean, it was a real war of attrition, that. The, the Badu Jack fight? Uh, yeah. I I think I do, and I just, I remember having a hard time, like, I, I can't even remember if I was, like, scoring it live, but just thinking, this is probably not going to be an easy fight to score, and then it's like, majority draw, of course, I mean, we're getting kind of used to that in boxing, but, um, yeah, I, I was actually surprised that there was not a rematch, that he went uh, for Caleb Trow. Well, there was talk. I remember, I remember um, in the ring immediately afterwards, there was talk of him going up in weight, um, of Badu Jack going up in weight, and that everything was going to become light heavyweight for him. And uh, DeGale wanted to stay at super middle. Um, so I don't know if that was the thing that cooled talks off or, or whatever it was. I'm not sure. I, yeah, now, now, that, now that you mentioned that, I think that was the fight where afterwards they asked, because they had Floyd Mayweather right beside Jack, and as soon as they ask the question, you can hear Floyd clearly saying, and he's on camera saying it too, moving up, light heavyweight, light heavyweight. So that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Ah, I I couldn't remember. It's like what was the fight? He got another draw, and then Floyd's just like, no, move up, move up. Yeah. Well, I mean, just having a, I've just snuck a quick look at his career. Um, uh, his profile on BoxRec mm-hmm. whilst we were talking, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what he did. He he went up to um to knock Nathan Bailey out in five for the WBA light heavyweight title. So there you go. Yeah, can't can't, compl- can't say it was a bad idea. So no, it's, it's worked, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But um, so Chris Eubank Jr., what's the opinion uh oh. in England of of this young man? Um. What is the opinion? Um, I think it would be fair to say um, he doesn't make it easy to like him. Um, he's uh, he yeah he he's certainly got a touch of his dad's personality, and he you know I've, he certainly finds it easy to to, to rub people up the wrong way. Um, I think people appreciate his fitness. I think I mean he's he's clearly game. He's you know he's he's clearly up for a up for a fight, up for a rumble. He's not scared to get in there with the best. No. Um I I think um I do think he ha- he has slight delusions of Brandian, you know, the him calling himself outright a um a super middleweight champion of the world after holding the IBO title. I mean like that raised a few oh. eyebrows. No, 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 no. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, you're kind of like the super middleweight champion of maybe the block you live on. That's about it. But, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe for some people that's good enough. But, I mean, like, if to call yourself an, an outright world champion, yeah, you're going to get a few questions asked of that. Now, now for me, I, I personally quite like the IBO as, um, as an organization. But, um, yeah, to, to be claiming that you are the, uh, uh, you know, a world champion when you hold only that belt, you know, you're going to get some uh, skeptical looks. Oh yeah. So um, to um, to answer your question, I, th- I think he divides people. I, I think that there's that there's 
you know, potential there. I think now that he does have the DeGale win um, under his belt, which was, um, which was, uh, you know, a box office attraction over here. Um, I think now is the time in his career when the, the iron is at its hottest, you know, like now's the time to strike for him. And, um, you know, if he can get another two decent fights um, this year, win them, and do so in a way that endears himself to the public. He does stand a chance of, um, uh, of uh, you know, drawing some fans his way, uh, because uh, I, I, even though he isn't, as I say, uh, particularly likable, he, um, you know, he, he does have uh, ability, fitness, skill, whatever you want to call it. You know, there is certainly something there. No. What do you what do you guys think of him out in out in the states? Does he uh, and out in Canada? Does he even register for you guys as a contender? He only registers mainly, um, almost sort of as an attraction, kind of like in the same way that Julio Cesar Chavez does now. But I think the way we look at him at, at is sort of the same way as we do Chavez Junior. Like, look, you're just somebody cashing in on your much more famous and much more talented father's fame you are going to have a hard you're going to have a real uphill battle trying to replicate his success and any any flaw any blemish on your record you know unfortunately that's just going to be magnified magnified tenfold because of who your father is um i i don't have much of opinion of chris eubank jr other than that he does seem to have inherited his father's gift for uh, for talking in self-promotion, but at the same time, you know, it, it somewhat works for him because people either like him or they want to see him get knocked out. You know, they're they're paying to watch him, so that's never a bad thing. That's what Muhammad Ali used to do. Absolutely, and you know, this is why, um, you know, we have a channel over here called ITV, and and he is at the forefront of their boxing uh, box office platform. And um, for exactly those reasons that you just mentioned, um, you know, that's why he's there. You know, that's why they're showing such belief in him, um, because whether you love him or hate him, he he will he will sell. You know, he will sell tickets. He will he will sell pay-per-view buys. Yeah. And money talks. So money Chris talks. Eubank might as well keep talking because, I mean, it doesn't seem to be doing him too bad. It's just like I said, whenever if you do all this talking, then you come up short, you know, unfortunately it's not going to be easy afterwards but um now there is another uh thing about british boxing i want to talk about and i have to go back to our last podcast because uh you and i were talking last time we spoke we were talking about deontay wilder versus uh tyson fury and it looks like that rematch is not going to happen right away unfortunately um and i i thought that whoever was first off how did you score the fight? Who did you think won uh, Fury versus Wilder? I, I I had Fury ahead. As did I. I thought that even after that tremendous knockdown in the 12th round, where I, I swear to God, I was standing up on my seat almost. Like, just kind of stunned because... Not, not to toot my own, my own horn, but it was very close to the prediction that I made on the podcast. So I thought, oh my, I said that he was going to get knocked out in the 11th round, but it's like, no, it's happening in the 12th round. And I actually thought that even after he got knocked down, you could have scored that just a 10, a 10, nine war, a 10, nine round for Deontay Wilder because he, uh, Tyson Fury got up and he was still fighting back. He was actually starting to uh, take control of the round as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, this is this is a it was a really interesting fight with a with a really interesting result. And um, it's one of those very rare occasions where if you made a, a prediction about this fight, regardless of who you are or where you mm -hmm. are, if you made a prediction about this fight, the likelihood is you were either predicting a Fury points win or you were predicting a Wilder knockout. And it's it's one of those rare occasions where both groups of people who made predictions were both proved about 75, 80 percent correct. Um, you know, you had Tyson Fury boxing his head off, uh, in my opinion, uh, for uh, most of the 12 rounds. Um, but as we were discussing on uh, the podcast last time, you know, we were saying Fury can be caught napping. 
Um, he can be dropped. He can be hurt. And um, while Wilder did that, I believe it was in the seventh round, um, and then uh, emphatically so um, in in the twelfth round. So so both sets of supporters uh, or, or both sets of people who made predictions were sort of seeing their their predictions simultaneously come come true, despite being at complete opposite ends. Oh no, uh, kidding! Of, of the spectrum, and then. To come away with a draw, I mean, it's um, yeah, it, I mean, it sets us up nicely for the rematch, doesn't it? it? It does, but I actually thought that okay, after you know, uh, as soon as the the round or the bell for the twelfth round rang and the rounds over, I thought okay, after this, you know, Tyson Fury, I thought he would want a clear. I thought he was going to win a clear decision. I thought he's going to call out Anthony Joshua, and we're going to have this huge. The biggest match in British boxing history is going to be Fury versus Joshua, and unfortunately, that wasn't the case. We got we got the draw, and now we've got sort of Anthony Joshua as once again the odd man the odd man out. He's fighting Jarrell Miller uh, this this uh, this upcoming June at Madison Square Garden in New York. There. What is the opinion of Anthony, or sorry, what is uh, your country's opinion of Anthony Joshua at this moment? I can imagine that Tyson Fury is sort of a a folk hero at the moment, but, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua, there is all this back and forth on Twitter, social media, Eddie Hearn, who is uh, uh, Joshua's promoter, saying that uh, Fury didn't want the fight, and both both sides saying, oh, the other guy doesn't want to fight. So what's, what's the real, what's your opinion anyway? or the opinion of your countrymen okay um well um those two um might actually be slightly different things so my my opinion is that i think anthony joshua is the number one heavyweight in the world i mean i i think by 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 any uh degree of measurement whether that be ticket sales whether that be the 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 number of pay-per-view buys uh that he generates whether that's the number of uh world titles in his possession um i i i think that he he is clearly um the um the number one heavyweight um on the planet currently at the moment um I think people are starting to get a little bit disillusioned with him as a boxing presence. Um, I think uh, is that partly down to Anthony Joshua just generally as a as a person or as a fighter? Maybe. Um, I think um, we're all growing tired of the endless round robin of you know fighters calling one another out. Then for one reason or another, it doesn't happen, and then that may or may not be down to some sort of back politics that's going on between promoters or, or 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 rival networks or rival stations or whatever it might be um so the the heavyweight scene um not only just anthony joshua really but um the heavyweight scene in general i think is starting to stagnate a little bit and um i i think the fact that we're not getting the fury and wilder rematch is actually part of that stagnation um so i think interest in anthony joshua if it, if it's moving anywhere at all it's probably waning slightly but i think that that is indicative of interest in the heavyweight division generally rather than just being about anthony joshua okay fair enough um what what it, like what do you think of this fight uh, with him against Jarrell Miller? Jarrell Miller is twenty three and zero. He's undefeated. He's got a record. Or sorry, I, I obviously said how many uh, victories he's got, but he's got twenty wins by way of knockout. Uh, what do people think of this fight? Or what do you think of this fight? I keep asking you to give me so many people's opinions. Why don't you just give me your own instead? <laughs> okay. Well, I I really like the fight. Um. I think Miller is doing everything he can um, to sell it um, to a wider audience. Um, I, uh, I mean, I think Anthony Joshua rightly goes into this as the favourite. Um, I think uh, I don't think he'll have it all his own way. Um, Miller um, is, uh, I mean, he's everyone talks about his uh, background in kickboxing and Mai Tai and stuff. But, you know, um, that does mean that he, you know, he is tough that he, and, you know, he is battle hardened. Um, he is incredibly heavy at the weight. 
Um, he is going, uh, and as a consequence of that, he's going to be very hard to hurt. Um, he does present a big target. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I see Anthony possibly stopping him somewhere in the championship round, somewhere from maybe around 10 to 12. I think he's, uh, uh, but I think he's going to have to work hard to do it. Um, I, for me, I think that uh, um, I think that this fight is actually more about introducing Joshua to an American audience ah. um, without w- without without writing J- um, Jarrell Miller off. Because as I say, I do not think that this is a given for um, for AJ. I just suspect that AJ will eventually have too much for him as the fight wears on. But um, from our understanding over here in the UK. Um, is that uh, Joshua's profile isn't as big in America or Canada um, as it needs to be in order to generate the kind of super fight that Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder want to participate in. So in order to do that, you need to go out to the States, you need to fight um, a uh, you need to fight a guy who I understand Americans are very excited about. They see a lot of potential in Miller. Um, and that is going to be the platform to essentially start uh, getting the promotional wheels turning for an AJ um for an AJ Wilder super fight that's that's my hunch but um yeah that's um that's my take on it how about yours what do you think well i never heard of uh Jarrell Miller prior to the press conference and then i watched the press conference and all i all i can remember about it is all the your mama jokes that uh, joshua and miller were throwing back at each other basically uh, you know aj is saying that he's paying miller's mother's rent it, it was it was just so funny and you know the fact that miller started shoving joshua uh, during the face off i thought okay you know th- this miller guy he's he's showing that he's not just going to come in and be another fat American opponent. This is a guy who really wants it. And then you hear, I think it was Tyson Fury who had said that he had knocked Miller down several times in sparring. So Mm -hmm. I I think, oh my gosh, you know, if anything, like, even though he's not fighting, Tyson Fury is still trying to make himself a part of this fight, like kind of haunt Anthony Joshua, be that a, a second opponent in the ring, like saying, oh, come on, I... You know, if you can't knock this guy down, I knocked him down seven times in sparring, and you can't do it over twelve rounds. You can't knock him down once. Yeah, and you know what? For for me personally, that that sort of talk um, it doesn't really do very much for me. Um, actually, like I, you know, that there you know that there there are enough idiots really in our yes. you know in our in our sport. You know, there are enough opinions flying around left, right, and center, and. Um, uh, all all of this talk about you know whether it's the your mama jokes whether it's that I'm not so and so down in sparring you know so and so can't punch you need to lose some weight whatever it might be it, it's never really done very much for me and um, dare I say it that might be part of the reason why um, people are just a little bit fatigued with the heavyweight division in general because it sometimes just looks like four or five guys just having an argument. And that's not really what we want to see, you know, at the end of the day, um, for, for whatever reason it is, you know, whether it's Anthony Joshua, you know, being the sort of golden boy of British sport at the moment, whether it's Tyson Fury coming back from uh, you know, uh, drugs and suicide to, you know, compete at the highest level again, you know, whether it's Deontay Wilder, you know, the street kid who's with, there with a chip on his shoulder making a name for himself. These guys are role models to someone and they are they are role models in some way. And um, I, th- I think there's a fair share of people um, who, who are disappointed in at least one of them, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, and- I, I, I can understand your perspective because I am watching it. And on one hand, like I'm just I'm not expecting much. But then when I think about it afterwards, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this really the best way to represent the sport? I mean, for the love of God, your regard as you're if you're not the best heavyweight in the world, you certainly are in Anthony Joshua. I mean, it's either I view it as either him or Tyson Fury. So, um, I, I think you know, is, is this really the best way to conduct yourself? I mean, this is supposed to be your platform to show what a great boxer, what a great champion you are, 
and it, it just evolves into this. I mean, I don't mind a little trash talk. I don't mind saying, you know, hold on to that belt because, you know, that's the last time you're going to be holding it prior to this fight. But no, now when you say it like that, it, you know, unfortunately there are too many idiots in this world and, you know, we don't need that many in boxing because we've got more than enough. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I've always thought that, you know, boxing doesn't need another Adrian Rona. You know, boxing doesn't need, uh, you know, more Floyd Mayweathers or, you know, Ricardo Mayorgas or, you know, mm. just kinks of trash talk that just, you know, I've always thought that, you know, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the personalities of fighters, there's always more space for, uh, you know, the Arturo Gattis and Mickey Wards. Look at the, you know, look at the uh, friendship that they shared. Oh, God, you know, yeah. Trilogy. Look at them. Look at the relationship that Pacquiao and uh, Bradley, or Pacquiao and Marquez, have now. Uh, you know, and they they produce some of the some of the greatest fights of uh, you know the last generation of fights. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't all have to be accusatory and mama jokes. Exactly. I mean, it, it, I I would actually be very stunned if I ever heard Manny Pacquiao throw about uh, your mama joke, unless yeah, it, it would, unless it would, it was, it, unless it was a compliment of, of some yeah. kind. You know, like I saw your mama in church; she had a very lovely hat on. <laughs> your mama makes really nice tea. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, the suit don't fit, does exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> but um, okay, so. We've talked about the British boxing scene, which I wanted to, you know, get uh, talk about with you. But now let's get to the real meat and potatoes of what this call was to be about. And that is a fight that I have been salivating about since it was announced. I mentioned this to you on the previous podcast that if that the closer we got to this fight, the more I wanted to talk about it. And that is Errol Spence Jr. taking on Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia is moving up in weight to challenge uh, Errol Spence for his IBF welterweight title. Oh, my God. I, I, I haven't even seen it yet, and I love this bout. Just love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a... I mean, as we were saying last time, you know, this is this is one of the super fights. It's one of the few super fights out there. Um, and uh, both guys can make a, a very strong case for them winning. You know, I, I think you have to give uh, things like experience. You know, you'd have to give the edge for that to uh, Mikey Garcia. I think I've, I think you'd probably say there's just all around technique and maybe footwork as well. Garcia holds the uh, the upper hand in those elements. But, you know, he, st he started his career out as a, you know, as a featherweight. Now he's here up in, um, you know, up in the deep waters of the welterweight division against um, a, a hugely spiteful puncher in, um, in, in Errol Spence. You know, Spence is, um, uh, he's the younger man. Um, perhaps he's the hungrier man as well. You know, you could say he's got more to prove. Um, but I, yeah, I, th I think it's a fabulous fight. I, um, I, I can't wait to see it. Ab absolutely. And, uh, he, he is such a devastating puncher. Fearsome is something that comes to mind when I think of his punching power, because the last time this guy went the distance was all the way back in, uh, 2014 against Ronald Cruz. And ever since that fight in, uh, June, of 2014 it's been nothing but knockouts he's been stopping everybody chris algieri kel brook lamont peterson carlos ocampo is mikey garcia next or is garcia going to conquer another weight class and the thing is mikey garcia started his career all the way back in 2006 i mean you wouldn't know it to look at him because just you know gosh you know he's only 31 years old but you know he looks to looks like he hasn't been in that many fights. I mean, he hasn't taken that much damage. That's the, that's a better way to put it. I mean, he's had this is his 39th fight with uh, 30 knockouts, and Spence has a record of 24-0 uh, with 21 knockouts. So both guys have, you know, some decent power with them. But I, I'm kind of curious if uh, the power will go up with Garcia to welterweight. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that that is um, the big question, uh, really, um, on everyone's minds. I mean, like Garcia, you know, you were saying that we have to go back to 2014 before, uh, you know, to find a fight when Errol Spence went distance. Um, 
Garcia hasn't stopped anyone stopped um, Zlatan at the start of 2017 uh, in January 2017. So we're talking over two years ago now. Um, that was down at lightweight. Um, since then, he's gone um, the 12 round distance three times. Um, I I wonder whether you know after he defeated um, Sergey Lipinets to win the super lightweight title, then going back down to lightweight to defeat Robert Easter uh, at, uh, in the summer of last year. Yeah. Is there something there? I mean, how comfortable really was he at the weight? Um, so I think that um, it's going to be very, very telling when he steps in there with a career welterweight. I mean, er- Errol Spence has been at 147 for his entire career. And, um, you know, not only is he a fully-fledged uh, well to wait he's a very hard hitting one as well and um you've got to wonder whether a garcia is going to have the power to 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 do any damage to errol spence and you you've also got to ask whether he has ever faced a puncher um like uh, errol spence um in any of the lower weight divisions where he has won world titles you know that's a good question i haven't had time to go through all of his um opponent's uh history i mean i think one of the biggest punchers that he did face was juan manuel lopez but that was way back in 2013 and he ended up stopping lopez um yeah i mean and spence is such a devastating puncher but something in the back of my mind keeps telling me don't count mikey garcia out something just keeps telling me he's gonna surprise you and i don't know how my prediction is uh garcia but that's the best i can do i mean hey if errol spence wins this fight i don't care i'm not gonna be disappointed i'm not betting anything on mikey garcia um i just want a damn good fight well i I certainly think you're gonna get that regardless of what whatever way it goes and um yeah to, to reiterate your point I don't think um, I don't think that anyone should uh, write uh, either of these guys off. I mean, I think that one of the reasons one of the reasons uh, that we love this not only because of the fact that it's a super fight, but because it is a genuine fifty-fifty affair. Um, as I, as I said earlier, you can make very strong cases for both of these guys. Um, what I will say, however, is that um, if Errol Spence wins it, this truly is his uh, his sort of uh, this will be his birth as, as a superstar. Really. He, he will be establishing himself as a fully-fledged superstar um, in the welterweight division and in the sport if he can beat um, Garcia this weekend. If Mikey Garcia does the business, um, I think we are potentially looking at one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters in the past 10, 15, maybe 20 years. I, I, I certainly agree. And uh, one thing that would not surprise me if Mikey Garcia lost this fight, I would not be surprised if he retired, believe it or not. I, I always look back to that uh, uh, that gap between uh, January of 2014, his fight against Juan Carlos Burgos, and 2016, which was his next fight. Uh, it was uh, July of 2000, the last date of July in 2016. That was his comeback uh, against Elio Rojas. After two and a half years, he did not... It never seemed to. I never got the feeling that he was bitter about being on the shelf for that long, or that it bothered him that much. He always kind of. To me, I always get this feeling from Mikey Garcia that boxing is something that he's good at, but I don't think he gets a lot of uh, joy out of it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's just my perspective. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's going to be an interview that comes out tomorrow where Mikey Garcia says, "Oh, I love boxing. You know, I'm not uh, boxing's my life. You know, I I can't go a day without thinking about it, and then I'm going to look like an asshole." But (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, I I didn't um, I didn't really know a huge amount about Mikey Garcia prior to his um, prior to that little hiatus. Um, I mean, I fully started paying attention to him and his career um, when uh, he knocked out um, Dejan Zlatikanin uh, in the fight after that one, actually. And um, th- th- there was a sort of huge furore um, about uh, about this fight, particularly you know, particularly because we, we know Zlatikanin over here. He he um, defeated Ricky Burns uh, and yeah, in the UK. So you know, this sort of caught our attention a little bit and. 
uh, one of the things that the pundits were saying was just how quickly he returned to a world level after that hiatus. He had one that one warm-up fight against Rojas and uh, then goes straight into a world title shot against Latacanin and then produces probably the knockout of the year that year. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a ferocious uh, punch yeah. that um, laid Latacanin out. And uh, I, th- I, th- I think that that really sent out a statement uh, that was, well, do you know what? I can take this, uh, I can take that hiatus off if I need to, and then I can just reintroduce myself at world level whenever I want, and I can still produce devastating performances like you're used to seeing from me. Exactly. And the thing is that uh, a lot of people might not know or remember, that was a quick knockout. That was only in the third round, that uh, knockout uh, against uh, Zlatan Cannon. I can't say his name, unfortunately. Zlatan <laughs> Cannon. There we go. But uh, yeah, it, it was only a three round or three rounds. It took or less than three rounds, and he was ahead on everybody's scorecard when it happened. It was. It, I remember. I can't remember who wrote it, but they o- were almost comparing his comeback to Sugar Ray Leonard's. They're saying this guy just came back after you know two and a half, almost three years off, and he's producing this. It, it, it's almost like you know he's. He hasn't aged a day or anything. It's you know he has he hasn't grown, become an old fighter. He hasn't fallen out of shape. There don't seem to be any bad habits, and the fact that he, what I really like about this is that okay, he won the title at super lightweight. Then he got another title down at lightweight, and now he's going up against uh, a welterweight. There's no tune-up for a welterweight fight. The last time I saw a fighter jump that many times between weight classes and like just almost just for the fun of it the last time i saw somebody like that was paul williams oh right yeah yeah okay go on talk us through it oh well as you might remember paul williams uh he he was regarded after his uh defeat against antonio margarito as the most feared man in boxing but uh, oddly enough in his next fight he loses the title 12 rounds to carlos quintana but he, d- he does something that's incredible, which only Roy Jones Jr. and Joe Lewis have done, and that is uh, get revenge over the one person to, de- or rather the first person to defeat you with a first-round knockout. So he gets the title back, but then he says, you know, I want to fight with, Meg- with Miguel Cotto. I want all the big names in the sport, and he just wants to keep busy. So just two, I think two or three months after that, he's got another fight against somebody named uh, Andy Coley, that was at middleweight. He knocks him out in the first round. And then he decides, all right, well, I'll fight for a junior middleweight title against Verno Phillips. He beats up Verno Phillips, retires him. Then he go, moves up again to middleweight to fight Winky Wright. He just dominates Winky in a way that nobody had done before. And Winky said that was the first time he really felt like he lost. And then he moves back down to middleweight and fights Sergio Martinez, which was a great fight. But yeah, I, I love I love it when fighters are doing that. They just want to stay busy and are jumping into the water, even if they don't know how to swim. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, go, going back to this fight, I mean, I think this is why um, you have to give Garcia huge credit, um, uh, for, you know, for doing this. Uh, you know, after the talks of a potential Garcia Lomachenko fight fell through, which is another fight we yes. love. Yes. He said, he, you know, he said, okay, well, if I can't get the Lomachenko fight, I'll, I'll go for the guy who is arguably the most avoided man in the division. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I give him huge credit for it. And if, as I say, if he does win, we are looking at a superstar. But, um, uh, but I'd be interested to know, um, how do the uh, uh, American Canadian bookies have it over there? Who are people picking as their favorite? Well, I, I, it is pretty much split down the middle. I, I've been checking out discussion forums online. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of uh, there are not a lot of boxing enthusiasts here in Calgary that I know of personally. But you know, I, I truly see this as a fifty-fifty fight. And I mean, it, you can make the case for Garcia. You can make the case for Spence. And I'll agree with all points, but uh, so, like I said, something in the back of my mind is telling me don't count Garcia out. Just don't do that. I don't think he's going to uh, knock Spence out, but you, you don't have to knock Spence out. I mean, so go on then, Andrew. Nail your colors to a mast here. Oh dear. Are you saying, are you saying Garcia by points? I'm saying Garcia by points. Right. Okay. Just to. Uh... 
you know, just to. Uh, I'm not going to go into too detailed a uh, prediction like yeah. I did for uh, not, Fury versus uh, Wilder, but, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to nail my uh, flag to uh, Garcia on points. Okay, well, uh, in order to play uh, your devil's advocate here, I will go Spence. I'll go Spence stoppage in the eleventh. Ah, okay. That, that that was my question because I wanted to know: is are we counting an early knockout or something later? And because I was thinking that if Spence really wants to get him out of there, he might have to do it early. Interesting. I mean, like I I get the feeling that um, it's I, I get the feeling it's going to be a cautious start. Um, I think that uh, Garcia is going to spend a lot of time on the outside, and you know he is uh, shorter and he is outreached. Um, uh, by Spence. So I think um, Garcia is going to be spending a, uh, a lot of time on the back foot. If, um, you know, like act of God aside, um, I don't see an early stoppage here. Um, I think, I think Garcia is too good to be, to be stopped early and to be caught napping. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, aside from like, like, like a freak punch, um, I, I see, I see Garcia actually having some success early on, um, but I can see him being worn down um, as the fight goes on. And um, I think the, the the heaviness of of Errol Spence's hands and also the weight difference, um, I, I think, is going to prove too much for him, I think. Uh, but yeah, that'll be my prediction. I think um, Spence in the 11th, but you know, I wouldn't put any money on it. Certainly, no, I no, could... neither would I, because I'm a coward. No. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. Either that, or just, or, or, or like me, just too poor enough to go and do it. Well, yes, I'm, I'm a cheap, cowardly, poor bastard. I mean, what the <laughs> hell are you going to expect from me? But yeah. you know, uh, going back, you know, if I were to play devil's advocate against myself as well, I would think that if Errol Spence is going to get Garcia out of there, it's, it's going to be a lot of investment with body shots throughout the round, or yeah. throughout the fight, rather. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I think that's. Um, I, 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 I see that as totally being believable. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be hard carrying all that extra weight around for the first time in your professional career against um, against one of the best punchers in the division. And um, yeah, invest in body shots early. And, you know, it'll pay off later, um, especially when you find yourself in those sorts of circumstances. Yeah, I agree with you. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, before we wrap things up, why don't you tell us about the? Uh, well, sorry, why don't you tell us about the uh, fight that you had, which I thought was on the undercard of Wilder Fury originally, but uh, was just a, a, a standard uh, white collar fight. Why don't you tell us, even for, for those of you who have not read um, uh, the, the excellent series that you're doing, uh, how lo- it's how long is a minute? Correct. How long is a minute? Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the shout out. Um, oh, no problem. Uh, 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 so the reason that I wanted to do it, aside from all, all, all of the personal reasons, was I think that it is. Um, I felt responsible as a as, as a pundit and as a commentator uh, to at least go in and have a little bit of experience as to what it was like, and then relay that experience to our readers through meaningful writing. Um, mate, it is, it is so hard. It is really, really hard. I mean, I've, I've been training in, in, uh, in, in the sport for over 10 years now. So I had, um, I'd had plenty of time to build the first fight occasion up in my mind, you know, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. The, 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 the weight cut. So I, I did a final week, um, which you will be reading about in my next installment. I did Ooh, a excellent. I did a sort of account of the final week and 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 just how um, what that was like as an experience, you know. So it was, and, and as I say in the article, it was a week of finals, you know. It, as I said, it was it was a week of finals. It was a final sparring session, a final strength and conditioning session, and then a final day of work, which was the Wednesday because Thursday and Friday, I wanted to um, cut the weight in as relative pieces I could possibly find, and um, let me tell you it. Weight cutting is the most horrendously uh, oppressive uh, and, and and lonely experience. Um, uh, you, I mean, I started getting 
uh, neurotic about, you know, like calories in sauce that you put on food and, uh, you know, just uh, just things that you just otherwise just completely take for granted and um, you'll see in the I won't give I won't do too much of a giveaway but the the first um, weight cut session took me down to uh, half a kilo over the fight limit of uh, 75 kilograms and um, I went away I had soup for dinner I had a little bit of water um, and uh, I was I was sitting down uh, watching TV just feeling grim and um, then the following day uh, I have a I have a small breakfast, go into the gym and I'm 1.8 kilograms over and um, just the daunting task in front of in front of me in in that training session of trying to lose what felt like a, just an impossible amount of weight. I mean it was um it was quite deflating to be honest. Um, but um, of course you know because the fight happened up there I clicked through it. But um, the the fight itself is 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 is, is strange i mean your 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 nerves just eat up all the reserves of energy you have um but what i what i was really pleased about um um if you know any of our readers um don't know readers or listeners don't know um i won the fight but i was i, I was pleased because um it was the you know i won the fight in the gym um the other guy um had tired by the by the third round and um i had not and it was, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was thrilled to walk away with the hand, you know, with, with, you know, with my hand raised. Um, it is something I'd do again, but I mean, uh, uh, it, if I, if I learned one thing, it is how much I don't know about this sport. Um, so, uh, I, I encourage all of your listeners and all of your readers, if they are so inclined, um, you know, you know, to give it a go because you really, um, you really do appreciate fighters in a different way after you've done it and uh, you appreciate the sport in a different way and you appreciate um, their decision making not only as fighters but kind of as, as human beings um, in in a different way as well uh, so yeah it was a fa- it was a fabulous fascinating um, daunting experience and uh, I loved it that is awesome I and I cannot wait to read the, uh, I think there are two more parts that have to, that you have to do. Uh, yeah, so I've got I've got the third one that is uh, sort of just ready for snagging, really. That I just need to go through and just eliminate a few bits and pieces. That'll be with Justin by the end of the week, and then uh, I've already started the fourth one, so you won't be waiting too long for that fourth and final part of the series. So keep an eye out. Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence. I'm picking. Garcia by de- by points decision. You are picking Spence by knockout. Oh, may the best man win. Are you go- yes? May the best man win, and hopefully boxing wins overall. Matt, once again, thank you for joining me on this podcast. You you grace us with your presence, and you make you make you make the, the the podcast itself sound a whole lot smarter. Me, you, you still got a lot of work to do, but uh, the, the 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 program itself. I mean. You're doing wonders for no, us. No, you flatterer, you. Um, <laughs> no, thank you again for having me. Um, it's um, it's a real pleasure, um, uh, you know, talking with you. And, uh, you know, we cover some good fights. We have some good conversation. And hopefully we're providing some good material for our, um, our listeners. So, um, yeah, big shout out to uh, everyone who listens to the Boxing for Free podcast and uh, to everyone who keeps up with the news on our website and on our Facebook page. Uh, enjoy the fight this Saturday and uh, hopefully Andrew will have me again soon so that we can share some more news, thoughts and opinions with you all. Absolutely. And if you ever want to come back on, just you know, message me on Facebook and we'll set something up. Consider it done, sir. Enjoy the fight this weekend. You as well. You have a good night and thank you once again. Once again, special thanks to Matt Lewis for all the time that he spent recording this conversation with me. There was a point where uh, we had a bit of technical difficulties and uh, the battery on my laptop just uh, died uh, right in the middle of Matt doing a very very important monologue about his training and i'm kind of like oh god oh god oh god no 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 no, don't die don't die and thankfully he didn't hear any of that the recorder didn't pick it up either but um no he he's just uh an officer and a gentleman through and through i don't know about the officer part but either way um 
No, j just everything you want for in a guest, and I can't wait to have him on again, and I cannot wait to discuss uh, Errol Spence versus Mikey Garcia, the aftermath on the next podcast. Um, as I said, my prediction is Mikey Garcia on points. I know that he is the underdog at the moment, that people are favoring Errol Spence, but like I said, I cannot stop thinking about there's something that we cannot write off about Mikey Garcia. And hopefully on the next podcast, I'll be able to tell you what that is. Anyway, that's all we have for you this week. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at www.boxingforfree.com. That's boxing, the number four, free.com. Twitter.com slash boxing for free. Be like Eris Lendi Lara, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, Adonis Stevenson, Berman Severn, Millerad Zizek, Glenn Johnson, and many others by liking us on Twitter at twitter.com slash boxing for free. Go to youtube.com slash boxing for free and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxing for free page. Go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes or iHeartRadio, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. So it took you two years. Two years. God, that must have been so frustrating. Mm.